Welcome to Cloudlandia. Welcome to Cloudlandia. And how are you today? I'll tell you what. I am happy today. Happy, ha- happy is good. Yeah, happy is good. You, you know, you can have all the different rewards in life as goals, but I, I, I got to believe that happy is the number one goal. That's been my guiding principle. That's yep. true. And it's so far it's working. <clears throat> <laughs> you know, your print profile, I don't know if you remember the print profile that we did. I do. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you're a seven, nine, uh, seven, nine, I think. Yes. Is that correct? And I think I remember that we had a, because my happy is the thing. I just want everybody to be happy. Harmony, right? That's the. Yeah. So you, <laughs> you want to enjoy life and have a good time. That's the seven. Mm-hmm. And number of the nine is you want to do it in a harmonious way. Mm. Okay, so I'm a seven three. So what we share in common, among other things, we share that we want to enjoy life and have a good time. And you want to get credit for it on the way up, isn't it? That was a, it's a three. No, no, three is, is success in it. Achievement, and, right? That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. So you want and benchmark, the pur- uh, and the purpose of the success and achievement is so I can have bigger parties, which I enjoy and have fun at. <laughs> it's all it's a loop, really. It's a continuous. It, loop. It's about parties. It's about parties for me. That's you know? great. So, so if we just and, make uh, a perfect, if we make a, if we combine our two prints, there we just have one big happy harmonious party. That I yeah, keep well, getting. Uh, I just keep getting invited as a guest to your party. That would be the greatest thing. And the, the our Colbys are almost identical. We have That's almost true. identical. And we checked out from past that our IQs are the same. You yeah. know, our, 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 both of our IQs are the same. And uh, our print is congruent. Our print profile is congruent. Yeah. So just to fill in those listeners who don't know what we're talking about, in strategic coach we have a number of i would call them profiling they're not they're not really tests they're simply mm-hmm. colby simply said says that if you had freedom to do things the way you want to do things this is the way that you would go about it okay mm-hmm. and both of us are <clears throat> have our one mine is a 2 2 10 Four and yours is a four, four, ten, one. Yeah. So I depend upon you having facts and a certain amount of follow trust. <laughs> 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 and I depend on you to illustrate it, to draw it out. That's an interesting thing that you're because the the implementer is really what implementer doesn't mean your, following through. It exactly. means how how you express your, you know, how you communicate what you do to the world. Yeah. Okay. And I see everything graphically. When somebody tells me an idea, I can yeah. see the, and it consists of four things. It consists of arrows, yeah. stars, circles, and squares, you know? Yes. And so my whole attitude is what does this, this thought looked like if you diagram it out, you know, so yes. that's, 
So that's every, what I love is that whole, uh, that's your natural inclination, right? Oh, like yeah. That. I remember yeah. when I showed you the, the who, not how illustration that I had was going from top to bottom with a fork between who and how, and you masterfully turned it on the side with the, you know, who bringing an upward energy and the how bringing a downward energy yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's very interesting because <clears throat> our collaboration for five years has been seamless. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I would recommend, you know, I would recommend to anyone who's listening, doesn't know about this, is if you go to Colby.com, <clears throat> K-O-L-B-E.com, uh-huh. um, you can do the question questions. There's 34 questions, and you answer the questions, and then immediately it'll give you what your profile is in four categories. One is fact-finding. How many facts do you need? How much facts do you need to make a decision to take action? Okay? And I don't Mm -hmm. need very much. And I find the facts that I make up always serve my purpose better than ones that I look up. (laughs) (laughs) 87% of the time. 87% 87% of the time, that's true. <laughs> and 80% is not bad, you know. That's and exactly also, right. <laughs> and I'm also an 80 to 80% guy. You know, you don't have to have 100%, but you, no. you know, you, that, you have to be, you have to be plausible at least. Of all of your concepts, that's one of the top ones that really resonates with me that I think we share in common is the 80% approach. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent results with what yeah. seems like little effort. That's the, <laughs> that's the greatest uh, thing, but you're right yeah. because it's absolutely true with the right idea. You can get 80% of the result with the least amount of effort and the effort to get to that next level of result, which is incremental in improvement requires yeah. a lot more effort than and then the other thing, uh, the, uh, the great contribution that you made was the who, not how concept, mm-hmm. okay? Because the friction in any kind of goal setting is the friction or the, what I would say, the counterpoint to any goal you have. You imagine the goal, you are excited about the goal, but then you hit a wall to a certain extent because if it's going to demand that you do more hows, in your life and my my schedule pretty well fills me up with existing house if i can establish the goal as a purpose for other people's capabilities Mm -hmm. and i'm off then i'm off to the races you know like Mm -hmm. and i would say that my life has profoundly changed since you introduced that concept mine too that's great (laughs) i mean that No, I really, I do think about that a lot that the, you know, and it's still, I had another great week in the, my new studio capability here, the video (laughs) studio. So I've been, I've got seven now short form, just conceptual ones where three to five minutes where I'm sharing a, a concept or telling a story of those. And I've posted a couple of them up on my book 
and LinkedIn page and things like that. And that I just feel so energized by it because I know like literally it's the ultimate who, not how situation where I literally, you know, roll into the studio. I've blocked it for the next 12 weeks, two hours at a time, 10 till noon on Tuesdays. And I literally roll in there at, you know, quarter to 10 and I, they're already setting up. Everything is lit. Everything is ready. The mics are all set up. Everything is there. I sit down and I have had live guests for the last you know few weeks. So I, we mm-hmm. immediately at 10 o'clock, we start talking and we record a full episode and then I get up and move around a little bit. And then I recorded this last one, seven of those little three to five minute clip. And then I left and I'm done. And I don't have Mm -hmm. any, you know, it's so great. We got to, so those are going to be like distributed everywhere. I mean, that's part of our. And the neat thing, uh, I was reading a little article by Charlie Munger, who's the other half of Berkshire Hathaway Mm -hmm. with Warren Buffett. And he said that the goal is not to get sudden, sudden breakthroughs. And he said, actually, what it is to commit your things to things that you could do forever and watch them compound and watch them compound. That's exactly it. And I look at this that, you know, for yeah, what I think five thousand dollars for the, you know, the whole the twelve weeks, I mean, and that's going to be like twenty plus podcast episodes plus you know there'll be whatever twenty four hours the complete of, production. That's the what complete I was just going to say. Yeah, twenty four hours production. of that without, and that's for less than the cost of even one of the cameras that they have there. They've got four cameras that are $6,000 each. So it's just like who not how for the win. I mean, that's really the thing. And we had, I did a great interview with, I did a more cheese, less whiskers podcast with Juan, the owner of the studio. And we talked about the VCR formula and excess capacity and looking that, you know, this reason we figured out that there's, you know, 50 hours of available capacity for the podcast studio, the way it is set up right there. And what, yeah. and having that now, you know, whenever it's not rented, they real they probably are using 20% of that capacity. And so we talked a lot about the idea of, you know, the, capability factory or a capability farm, you know, and that was what they're doing right now. A lot of it is as a capability factory where they're putting it out for hire kind of thing, you know, where there's somebody else's, they're making somebody else's product. But I got him, we were, I was encouraging him to really think about what other things can you use this capacity for that you could use it as you know, a capability farm where you're investing the seed and getting a reward from the harvest, you know, because mm-hmm. his cost, his incremental cost of doing 
those additional hours is a fraction of what they're what they charge for them you know so they get their yeah. capability at cost and it's only the incremental cost like the actual hard cost of each hour which is really just the engineer because they've already yeah got the well, well they've first already got of all, the lighting uh, yeah i mean first of all he's already paid for all of his capabilities that's I mean, exactly his capabilities it. were paid for a long period of time, and now he's just compounding the value of his <clears throat> existing capabilities. Yeah. yeah. And so it's interesting. We started brainstorming about how can he like leverage that, bring that into, and start to think like a, a venture capitalist in a way yeah. with his yeah. a venture capabilist. Cap- well, it's, we'll re- it's really uh, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny, but Kathy Davis, you know, who is my main who for all program development inside strategic coach. So she's totally in charge of all the ongoing signature level workshops. And that represents mm-hmm. 80% of our client base. So we have three levels. We have the signature level, we have the 10 times level, and we have the free zone level. But for eight years, she's completely freed freed me up from any work on the signature level. That's the mm. basics of the program, mm. and and I've drawn a really great lesson out of this because it's been going now for eight years, and I only had two agreements with her. One is, I want you to be in every one of my workshops so that you can see all the new stuff that I'm developing. Okay, and <clears throat> it. it this is raw material for you to create new ongoing. So there's a brand new signature program that happens every 90 days. Okay. And, and then they, with the new things that they're creating, they're going back and they're bringing everything that's already been created, which is vast. So she's up to about 72 or 73 brand new initial workshops that she's created. Mm-hmm. And uh, my other rule for her is I don't want to know about anything that you're doing. <laughs> okay, just do it. So she never has to worry about me looking over her shoulder at what she's doing. Okay. I mean, and what she uses is the program advisors of which we have a dozen or so. And mm-hmm. these are the internal advisors that we have who interact continually with the entrepreneurial clients at the signature level. And she says, what are they talking about? You know, what are they talking about? You know, is there an issue that we haven't been dealing with in the coach? And so she talks to them and then she talks to the coaches. And we have 16 of those, not including myself. And then she said, what's happening in the workshops? So she's got these two groups the actual coaches who are clients, by the way, every one of our, you know, every one of our coaches, first of all, had to be a very successful utilizer of strategic coach concepts, and they have to have their own business. So we don't have hired trainers. We What we have is entrepreneurs who have successfully really mm-hmm. implemented. And the reason is that they can't use my stories in their workshop. They have to use their own stories and what Mm -hmm. they're doing with the workshops and the businesses have to be active and growing. Okay. So those are the two rules and I've just stayed on my side of the line 
mm-hmm. and it's given her a complete freedom to develop her own unique capabilities to do that. That's a mm-hmm. huge amount of work. And then at the 10 times program at the end of this year, December 31st, I'm no longer going to be doing the 10 times workshops, the full day workshops. And But I still will continue to do the connector calls, the 10 time connector calls. And the reason is because that's where I create new stuff. Okay? Right. And as a result of that, she has a constant flow and she's She's in on those workshops. She sees the new thing mm-hmm. creating. And uh, and then I'm going to the free zone, and we've expanded. I mean, I think we're growing by a third this year of the free zone. I think we started at 40 at the beginning of the year, and we'll be slightly over 60 by the... And that includes, you know, you have erosion. You always have right. erosion for... for one reason or another, people have just decided to step out. And that's worked. And now we've got four other 10 times workshops who take over in January. They So everybody who's in my 10 times program will have a new coach for their main mm-hmm. workshops with me still doing the 10 times connector, um, calls. Con- yeah. co- connector calls. And so that'll uh, be existing coaches that are yeah, uh, moving yeah. out so from four of them, to 10 and, times. Yeah. It took two or three years to check out if, you know, this was. I remember when you went through that with the 10 times that you went through that same thing where you moved out of signature Mm -hmm. into 10 times. Yeah. And then with the freed up time, I've created two other optional programs, one of them, the Lifetime Extender Program which is great. We have around 100 and, you know, 100, I think around 160. We're up to 160. And, you know, and that's going well. We've done two workshops and, you know. Is that in person new, or, or virtual? You no, know, that's all virtual. And that's all virtual, thing, yeah. All mm-hmm. these new workshops that I'm creating. And then Keegan Caldwell and I are creating a new collaboration, which is called the IP Value Builder where you maximize the asset value of all the uh, cuts programs and platform that you've created mm. and see where they can be translated into copyrights, pat- trademarks, patents, or mm-hmm. can be covered by trade design or trade secrets. And those mm-hmm. are five major, under the law, those are five major, you know, intellectual. You own the property. Protectable these, uh, things, right. Yeah, and you're given a monopoly by the government for yeah. a certain period of time. And uh, that's going to be very exciting. And, uh, you know, and the first two workshops, a 10 times workshop in a free zone, we had roughly, uh, all told, we had about 65, 65 clients uh, who attended those two workshops. And 35 of them media got, immediately got in touch with Keegan and said, can we talk? about you coming in and analyzing our intellectual capital. And then yeah. that can be, first of all, <clears throat> they have intellectual property, which has not been certified by the government, and he will help them do that. And copyright's mm-hmm. easy because you can actually do that online. You can So every tool that I create now, the moment my finished you know, artwork and my finished sample copy is there, 
two hours later, after that's already been registered as a copyright, both in the United States especially. So it's $75, and you do it Mm -hmm. online. And, uh, you know, you don't get everything that you shoot for, but you get, you know, you pretty well right right off the bat, you get 75, 75%. And, uh, you know, and then they say, you know, we're not sure about this. And that just gives you an incentive to go further. So we have this interaction with the government. And then there's things that are beyond copyright. Actually, copyright is the easiest because... Yes. You can prove automatic. that you came up. Yeah, you can go. It is automatic, but it makes a big difference whether it's yeah. public. Uh, uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you can contest that you were first into the field with it, and uh, but the government gives you. You know, it's a good use of government. I mean, yeah. say it's a good use of government. And I don't mind government when it's useful to me. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's funny. And, uh, yeah, so that's going to be a big one because, you know, I have this goal for the year 2044. I'm 100 years old in mm-hmm. 2044, and I had that goal of $15 trillion. The total, you know, impact of our client base on the world was, in GDP, it was worth $15 trillion, which is slightly yeah. higher than China with much better bookkeeping <laughs> than we the Chinese have. We've got... <laughs> So we've got 22 years yeah. to get there from here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what I've decided, it's not, GDP is just harder to figure out. It's harder to figure out people's revenues and that, you know. But the what we're going to establish with Keegan is that there's actually a, a record with individuals who go through him and his company that this will be an asset value, you know, and mm. and in the room where we did it, there were 54 entrepreneurs. And I said, Keegan, I'm just asking you to make a guess here. Okay. And he's a nine quick start. So it's easy. Quick, I, making guesses is really easy for a lot. He's one of starts. us. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of us. And I said, <laughs> Without too much examination here, I said, how much do you think that the certified and uncertified IP is intellectual property in this room? And he said, right off the bat, I'd say a billion dollars. The big thing now is to actually certify that and get it appraised. And then that, that, that becomes an asset on your books. Yeah. And yeah. And you can actually create a separate company, which is your, IP company, Holding. yeah, and everything like that. So the reason I can do that is I'm freed up in the way that I told you by jumping yeah. to the next level. It frees yeah. me up. So I get about like 45 to 50 days back next year just by oh, yeah. making the move, you know, and I can put good use to those, to those 50, 55 days. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so nice to see that new, you've got a whole new workshop that's only virtual. And, you know, that whole division that you've got now of all the new people coming in is everything, it's both 10 times and signature available virtually, or is it a, yeah. a different? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I have at the end of each quarter, I have a full virtual version of the 10 times. Because right. there are people who just miss for one reason or another, and this gives them, and you know, unlike the 
first quarter we did this was last quarter, which ended at the end of uh, July. Yeah. And I had 120 in the virtual, which those are people who might have missed their workshop for the quarter. Yeah, me. I yeah, and we do yeah. the same thing for, and we do the same thing for the free zone, for the yeah. free zones. So, and yeah. this is our the ever growing power of the gift of COVID. I was just I, I subscribed to the Wall Street Journal print edition the last month or so, and so yesterday's. Saturday edition of the oh, Wall Street Saturday, Journal. Saturday Wall Street Journal is the greatest newspaper in the world. That's I took your advice on that. And I realized I was so, it was so funny because I was joking with Richard Rossi. This was several years ago. We were talking about that show Downton Abbey yeah. that was on, on Netflix and how they had somebody that would iron their newspaper to, to flatten it out. <laughs> and I was... You know, the first couple of times you realize that I've been so out of touch with like physical newspapers that you realize how unwieldy they are, actually. You know, I have to set up in my dining room, have a, you know, a clear space on the table to like open up the newspaper. <laughs> and it's yeah. so funny how the wrinkle, you know, because it comes folded and then folded again, like wrapped yeah. again in the plastic. My right? mind so, is rolled up in a, you know, it's rolled up with a, so Band-Aid, they could throw it out uh, the car. Rubber, yeah, rubber exactly. No, they bring it to the oh, door. Okay. And, yeah. and, 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 but I like staying in touch with the paper version. Oh, I and, love I, that. and I have it. And I have it online too. You know, I have the yeah. uh, Wall, Wall Street too. Journal. Yeah. And, but it's the, boy, the, you know, not every daily issue is of great interest to me, but that, right. uh, especially the opinion. You know, which mm-hmm. is the last uh, three pa- three pages right at the yeah. end of the first section, which are commentary. It's actually four pages because they have a major overview article on something. A lot of it's on sports. The and then they have three wonderful pages of comments and mm-hmm. editorials and everything. And they're very diverse. You know, the Wall Street mm-hmm. Journal will have people who are again capitalism you know they'll write articles on why capitalism is so so destructive and then they have letters to the editor and you know readers will take issue if they don't like a particular article and uh, you know and they'll give another explanation so there's but none of the other newspapers right now the paper newspapers have anything like that right yeah this this week was very interesting because it was the cover article, or the, and a lot of the content. There's several, you know, perspectives. There's about four it. sections. There's four sections. Yeah. Uh, Saturday so this, and uh, the, the one on that, Chinese surveillance. Chinese surveillance. Yeah. Uh, was uh, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. The one that really caught my attention. It seems like this Labor Day is the line in the sand that many corporations are drawing that'll say uh that say you've got to come back to the office now or else yeah Yeah. right and it was so funny to see them talking about how that was it's almost like people are refusing to come back and the corporations really don't have or haven't had kind of a leg to to stand on 
but now that there's the news is set with all these companies, you know, doing layoffs and preparing just in case to be able to mm-hmm. do layoffs. And so now people are maybe a little more interested in creating some job security. But it was funny that one of the articles was about yeah, even Zoom needs some people in the office yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a funny perspective. Right? Even yeah. the thing that helps us not go to the office requires people to be in the office. It's yeah. kind of a funny thing, but true, you know? Yeah, it's about, I love that, love that paper. And there's a huge difference in the mindset of the people who write the front page, you know, the the news, what I would call the news, and the editorial pages. There's a real division of thought there. And yeah. they keep them apart from each other, apparently, in the paper, that the people who write the news stories got their stories to write. And the editors and the commentators have their point of view, and they keep them apart. So there doesn't have to be what I would say compliance. You know, like New York Times now is, I stopped reading the New York Times. I used to get it every day, plus the Mammoth Sunday Mm -hmm. edition. But they've gone so one way in Mm. terms of their political commitment. Right, yeah. I said, you know, this isn't interesting to me. There's no, you're pushing a party line here. And I said, I know what your party line is, and I I don't find anything interesting about it. So, yeah. So anyway, but the interesting thing that I'm, what we're talking about here is that it's now possible to identify mainland activities like your recording studio that you go to physically. You're maximizing the value of a mainland capability, but the outcome is massive reach uh, in the Cloudlandia. In Cloudlandia, that's exactly the point. That's where we're going to uh, go with that. Like all these little, you know, these, I could do these three to five minute things. That's where I've got so many concepts, so many shortcuts if we'll call them that, that you're, that you talk about that 10, that set up the programs. And that's really, because under the context of the programs, like the breakthrough blueprint and email mastery and the lead conversion Mm -hmm. workshop, those and 90 minute books would be a program that people can, you know, create, uh, turn these shortcuts into something that is, productized in a way, right? That can help people get stuff done. And uh, yeah, it was really, I feel like it's all just deepened my appreciation for who, not how. Just mm-hmm. realizing that in almost in every way, on every level, it just makes such economic sense to, you know, because thinking about setting up a physical capability like that, like a studio, like the cameras and the, you know, set and the lighting and the software and the microphone. And then you still have to have a person to run it and all the overhead of trying to find the right who for, you know, internally to just be able to walk in, fully plug into to somebody's capability. It's just 
so amazing, you know. It's kind of like the opportunity on both sides of being able to tap into them, but also being able to create those environments. You know, yeah. like that, I look at what we've been able to do with 90-minute books of somebody could tap into that and create the, you know, create a book that can grow their business without them having to do anything but talk, you know? Yes. It's yeah. just such a thing, being able to do stuff for people. Be a who, you know, be being a who. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think the big thing is that you've got to be, you know, the whole VCR con- concept, the <clears throat> vision, capability, and reach uh, mm-hmm. that you coined. The interesting thing about it is that was literally not a possible concept before I would say, I'm just thinking here if I'm going back over a decade or two. It was only in the 2009-2010 that I think that, that this because I think with the the real estate downturn which was very significant a very you know mm-hmm. very significant economic crisis a lot of people began to look at things very differently. So I say we're in the 50, first 15 years right now where Cloudlandia was really a useful yeah. concept for individual entrepreneurs. And I look, you know, I think I think that if you could really get back to that, it, and we could probably find examples of it overlaid in earlier times too. Uh, like I look, I thought about Vista Print which got started in the 90s using excess capacity in you know they would do gang run printing they would they had software that would batch small runs like they would put one you know however they had the software to lay out the big web printing pages they could combine several small orders into one order and run it on you know, an excess capacity of a, a web printer. So they had a network of printers all over the place. But they collaborated with Microsoft when Microsoft Publisher came out, where people now had the capability to do desktop publishing. Mm-hmm. They, they negotiated with Microsoft to form a partnership where they would include Vista print information in every box of publisher software that was sent out. So that was what exploded the company. All these people with a new capability to do their own desktop publishing, like design. Mm-hmm. Now they they could print it out on their own printers, but if they wanted to do any quantity of anything like business cards or mm-hmm. brochures or <clears throat> flyers or anything like that. This was an easy way that they could now, you know, get that handled digitally and get it delivered right to them. And so that was, I think, one of the early examples of the VCR formula. And if you go even further back, Debbie Fields from Fields Cookie, I think it was either Fields Cookies or there was a, a cookie company that they this lady ended up partnering with a bakery to make her cookies and it became this huge this huge thing i think it was mrs fields yes 
And I know King's Hawaiian bread was the same type of thing, that these collaborations, you know, if we go back, it'd be really interesting to trace the history of the free zone because the free zone and the VCR formula is really what that, that combination is, is really the great recipe for collaboration, I think. Yeah, and the the historic burden for people with vision is that you had to create a really big organization to carry out the capabilities and the reach. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder about that. That's why I'm always very curious about the, you know, what you get a revolutionary new capability like printing. And then I'm always very curious to see like what was the in the wake behind that like now we've got a new capability you can print something and movable type you know and the bible was the first real thing that people were was available to you know <clears throat> people but then i'm always very curious and i think i asked you about that what was sort of the early capitalizers on the capability. Well, yeah. Actually, the, you know, the history of the Protestant Revolution, because the (laughs) Protestant Revolution, which starts up within the first 50 years after Gutenberg came in, you get the mid 1400s, 1455 Uh is generally given as the, you know, movable type. That was a big thing that Gutenberg did. But within 30 years, there were like 40,000, 50,000 presses in Northern Europe. It was almost all Northern Europe. <clears throat> so it was the Low Countries, Holland, ne- the Netherlands, and then it was the Scandinavian countries. And then it was Northern, you know, what is now Northern Germany. But in those days, they were separate little, you know, little units, uh, 30 mm-hmm. or 40 different little political Mm -hmm. units in what was Germany. And they wanted to, it wasn't so much that they, I mean, it wasn't so much about the religion itself. It was that the cost of being a Catholic, if you were a businessman, was very heavy in the sense that there were dozens of what were called holy days. They had holy days when you didn't work. And they had markets. So the market, the people in the markets worked, but everybody else had to let their workers off to take part in the the religious ceremonies. And the and then there would be market day. They would have markets. So in some places, it was as many as 100 extra free days out of the, you know, out of the 365-day year. And so... Luther and Calvin, mostly Luther, comes along, and he said, "You know, I'm again these all these holy days." You know, and, and he said, "You know, if you join my cause, you, you get all those, you get all those back." Right. Okay. And the other thing is that the business community was taxed for the holy days. They were taxed for everything that went on in the holy days. They were actually taxed by the church and and so the the Protestant revolution was actually an entrepreneurial revolution and okay. the only thing that the only thing that made it possible was the printing press okay and that's um, amazing 
I yeah, love stuff and- like that. Like that's, I remember in college, the, you know, Western Civ was like, you know, a, a boring thing, slightly interesting, but, you know, kind of you get through it, didn't see how it applies. Even now it's like the most fascinating thing to me. That's one of the yeah. things I wish I had paid more attention in Western Civ. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, and you know, Henry Ford really didn't create the assembly line. The assembly line had already been created in the other industries. The in the, <clears throat> for example, the fabric uh, the fabric mills mm-hmm. started in early of processing different aspects of finished cloth, and they would do mm-hmm. it. Each person would do one part that they were good at. So. Going back to Adam Smith, Adam Smith is the one who actually coined the term division of labor, that instead of one person being a 100% craftsperson, in other words, each manufactured item would be the result of one person's work. Yeah. Uh, And they said, no, let's say there's 15 parts to a musket. And, you know, so we have 15 different people who are just really good at their part of the musket and we can produce mm-hmm. a lot more muskets and it was an exponential i mean it, but the other thing is you had to create uniform parts you know mm-hmm. in other words that they had to be uniform so there was no variation between crafts individual craftsmen and and that was it so that existed and then the big breakthrough was the meatpacking industry in chicago and it was Hunt's, you know, the name still exists. And, and they had this big factory where 100,000 100, pigs came in one end of the factory in the morning and they went out in cans at the end of the day. And they used to have bleachers where people could come and watch the entire process. Right. <laughs> I remember you said, hey, get your popcorn. Yep, get your popcorn. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, obvi- obviously, you know, and so Ford watched this and so assembly line, but he's the first one that did it with cars. And, you know, and cars is the technology that really transformed. And that was the 1920s. And the book, The Big Change, that you recommended yeah. me, which I recommend to everybody else, The, mm-hmm. the Big Change. And it's the history of the how America changed between 1900 and 1950. And it's, uh, you can see the takeoff of automobiles in the 1920s from, you know, late teens to the 20s. And that the other thing that Henry Ford introduced, and this put his life in danger, is that on a particular weekend, I think it might have been, you know, the mid-teens, he said, I'm doubling everybody's pay. I'm mm-hmm. giving you one extra day off. So I'm going to create Saturday and Sunday. You don't have to work. You know, you work five days. And I think they were 10 hour shifts. So it was 50 hours mm-hmm. a week. And then, but we're doubling your salary and we're giving a day off. And he had to walk around with bodyguards for pretty well the rest of his life because the other manufacturers not just in automobiles, but throughout the industrial system, wanted to kill him, you know, because Mm -hmm. he, and, uh, but it was possible because of the extraordinary jump in productivity of the assembly line, that Mm -hmm. he was getting more work out of them in 50 hours on five days than he could get them before. But the other thing is they had the money to actually buy the product and they had the time to use the product that they were actually making. 
So yeah. he's the first first one who really turned his workers into customers. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, you think about it like that. The yeah. creating the said, job that it's all trickle down. <laughs> They're gonna use the money to buy the cars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, but that shows vision, it shows capability and it shows reach, you know. And yeah. then, uh, and then the you know, the automobile industry and the you know, in nineteen ten, forty percent of all the cars that produced in nineteen ten and had been produced up until then were electric cars. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, electric cars. How was yeah. that how did that work? Did they have battery storage or Yeah, you had batteries and you charged a, you know, you could charge them up. But the problem was <clears throat> that electricity really wasn't available. You know, I mean, you could go 10 miles, but people wanted to go more than 10 miles. Right, you know, they exactly. wanted to. And then the battery would wear out, you know, the charge would yeah. wear out. So it's still the problem. I mean, it's still the problem. You know, they find mm-hmm. that even where people have not today, they have another car for longer trips, which is a gas car. Yeah. Do you guys, you and Babs, when you're going up to the cottage, um, do you have a charger at your cottage too? So you can yeah. get from your house to the cottage. It takes no, uh, uh, 70%, 70% yeah. to get there. And it takes okay. less to get. Uh, it takes less to get back because we're downhill all the way. Halberton, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> right, right, yeah. Alberton's a thousand feet higher than downtown where we live yeah. in uh, Toronto. So on the yeah, way right. home, we noticed that it's about a. I think it's a sixty-three percent charge to get back, seven percent less charge. No, but we have the cottage, and it's the right. You know, it can you can handle it because it's about a three hour trip, and right, uh, yeah, you know, and that's fine, and uh, you know, so you know, they're you know continually trying to push, you know, the range. The biggest problem with EVs is range. You just don't have yeah. the. Uh, and a dependable charge anywhere along the way. They don't have that yet. So that Barrie is the emergency get to in the town of Barrie um, because mm-hmm. they have one whole parking lot provided by Tesla where they have about 15 fast charge stations. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's interesting. Florida's pretty well set up with that. I've only ever had to charge once coming home from Palm Beach, but... The I just Friday went from here, my house to Sarasota and yeah. back with, you know, and that takes about, I had about 15% left when I came back. So I full charge and I can go all the way, you know, which is about four hours of driving yeah. probably. Yeah. yeah. Two, two hours there, two hours back, plus a little bit, you know, driving <clears throat> around while you're there. Yeah. And that's yeah. with, you know, full air conditioning and podcasts. <laughs> I don't know how much energy podcasts take, but that's what I'm listening to on the way. My mind you, the the highest increase elevation you can have in Florida is about twenty five feet. You know. <laughs> I live this is I was teased with people like I live, you live very on the hill. Do you live on the hill? Yeah, I was just gonna say is I live very close to the highest point. In Florida yeah. is Bach Tower. Bach Tower, it, yes, I've uh, I've been to Bach Tower. I've been there okay. two or three times. I really like it. I really like yeah, it. Yeah, beautiful. 
He was and the uh, public. He was the publisher of the Saturday Evening. That's uh, right. Saturday Evening Post. I think he was. I think he was Danish. Danish okay. and and well, you know immigrants whole, uh, to the United States. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. That neighborhood there, Mountain Lake Estates, where Clock Tower is looking over there, that is still like it's a hidden gem. Yeah, you know there there are huge like mansions in there, like you know smaller scale than say Newport, Rhode Island, but big, you know, grand homes like that, the the Dupont. Yeah, and, there, uh, and, and uh, have been there yes. for a century. Have been That's there for exactly a century. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, and it's wonderful because the grounds leading up to the back tower are all gardens. It's yeah. you know, it's a terrific. Yeah. It's a tri- and that many people. I've said, did you go to the back tower? You know, when they go yeah. to part, I mean, back tower. What's the back tower? Right. And I said, at the top of the tower, you can see forever. Uh-huh. The, but the thing is, it's 182 feet above sea level. That's the, yeah, and that's the highest spot. That's, that's the highest, the highest spot, spot in peninsular Florida. Yeah. 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 Very funny. So that's, yeah. But, but, those, but those the whole days thing when is the, that it's one of the things, you know, when you talk about Cloudlandia, you know, going back to the main topic of our podcast is that the one thing that big data, you know, and there's all this talk about big data, and I have a podcast series with Jeff Madoff. I have Mm -hmm. it at three o'clock on Sundays. We do about twice to three times as many as I do with Jeff. So it's about three times and it's called Anything and Everything. That's the name Mm -hmm. of our podcast series. Right. And the reason for this is that both Jeff and I were born in northern Ohio in the 1940s. Okay, so we're we're grew up around 90 miles from each other and I'm 78 and I think Jeff is 74 and and we just talk about everything that's happened since the 1940s. Mm, you know, what a that, great that idea. we grew up yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. we grew up with and and we were just talking about the the fact that more and more, at least in the what I call the tech-rich com- countries, the U.S. Mm-hmm. being the richest of the tech-rich countries, is that um, we had a couple podcasts where the marketing, which is relying more and more on data, these are big <clears throat> in the fashion industry, especially big data. They rely on big data. And I said, you know, the problem with big data is that it's data, okay? And it doesn't explain itself, okay? So you have to have a refining process that takes the data and turns it into information, mm-hmm. okay? And But there's lots of information, and you're still not at the point where the information will be useful to you because you have to turn it into knowledge. And that's mm-hmm. another whole refining process. Right. And and then the real key, can you turn your knowledge into wisdom? And wisdom is really the the crown jewel of input, you know, and you know, in other words, wisdom is stuff that there's a lot of stuff from a couple of thousand years ago which is as good today as when it was created. And my book on you my you know, my role model Euclid is the great Yeah. He's the great foundation of all mathematical 
yeah. thinking in the world because he put together the he aggregated all available knowledge, practical knowledge and some yeah. theoretical knowledge. And he did that. And I said, you know, when I do my strategic coach tools, I do a quick century back, century forward check with the tools I come out. And I said, a hundred years ago, would the impact builder have been useful? And I said, you bet it would have been. Right. And, and I said, a hundred years from now, will the impact builder be useful? Right, exactly. I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I think this is wisdom. I think this is wisdom. Yeah. You know? And and I said, uh, since I'm putting in the work, I don't want stuff that's obsolete three months from now. Exactly. I have my copy of Euclid's Elements as on your, after hearing you talk about it, I've got it. It's nice to see everything there in one collection. All of the angles, every all the theories all illustrated i think it's uh, yeah it's a if it's really good it predicts yeah somewhat accurately what was true yesterday yes we watched last night luba and i watched a movie about johnny versace and donatella versace oh yeah and you know it was really one of the things that she ended up doing to you know after johnny died they faltered a little bit but she ended up just going to women and to see as hearing on the front lines really what do they want yeah and that was you know being able to practically understand what people really want yeah that was what they were able to then build on Yeah. And I, it was, you know, and I think that the, you know, I've been just trying this line out on a lot of people and it stops them in their tracks when I say it. And I says, you know, what we call history is just the record of everything that people weren't expecting. <laughs> That's true. I've heard you say that. And it is true, yeah. right? No one expects yeah. the unexpected. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting, you know, that the months before COVID became a serious matter. Yeah. Uh, no one was expecting what happened over the next two years. Yeah. You know, there was just nobody. I mean, certain people say Bill Gates has been predicting worldwide pandemics forever. And I said, yeah, but I bet he didn't know when it was going to start. I didn't, I bet he didn't know, you know, how it would start. I bet he didn't know how it would proceed. Yeah. You know, and I said, so there's been tam pandemics throughout human history. Okay, mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, yeah, but it's knowing, you know, it's, I always said that the greatest ability uh, that you could have in life is tomorrow's issue of the Wall Street Journal today. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Prognostication, yes, exactly. Yep, yep. I would be happy just with that one ability. I said, yep. Yeah. I just read the stock reports for tomorrow, today, yeah. and you know, and I would sell or buy accordingly. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's so funny. Yeah. Now they now you wouldn't even have to because AI could do all of that. They'll read yeah. yesterday. Yeah, they read what's happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that there is, you know, there is certain information that is that if you can 
to a certain extent, corner the market on this information. And it's uh, and the ability that you're looking for is that you can act minutes quicker to take advantage of an opportunity just as it's starting. Yeah, um, or even uh, seconds. Yeah. Yeah, seconds. Yeah. And I was reminded of a story that uh, Thomas Edison didn't really have his first financial success as an inventor until he sold to a company in New York on Wall Street his patent for turning Morse code into English, English language. Okay, so the ticker tape, he invented the ticker tape. And the ticker tape yeah. came out, but it was in Morse code. And then they had these people who were, you know, superb readers of Morse code, and they could immediately translate it into actual letters and words. Yeah. And yeah. he invented a machine where the ticker tape it's, itself was just in letters and words. And it was about a five second advantage. And he sold it to. And it was for the gold exchange in in New York, and and that's he got ten thousand dollars for that. He got ten thousand in wow. 18, 18, you know eighteen fifty late eighteen fifties eighteen sixties, and yeah. that five seconds made fortunes. Or you know that isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, life's getting yeah. better constantly. That's the one constant. <laughs> Just keeps All improving. Right. What'd you get out of this? I think it's always fascinating to bring the present through a lens of the past. I think that's uh, yeah. I think that's fascinating to me. That's what I really appreciate about our conversations is your rich understanding of the past and how it translates in today. That so I think that's you know I think it's a great conversation combination yeah yeah all right uh, i will not be available next week okay okay so i'm traveling on sunday next week so i won't be available okay. but i will be the next sunday after that so two weeks i'll be here all right and it's fascinating because cloudlandia is expanding exponentially but what it does is it makes certain mainland assets even more important. Yes, that is true. I think it's the combination that's really the, you know, being able to, uh, that bridge, it, that's where all the opportunities, is the yep. gateways between the two. Yep, the tolls are always on the bridges. Yes, that's good, there you go. <laughs> That's the perfect. Let's end on that. I love it. 